Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're continuing in 1 Corinthians. and Very excited because we just have come off in chapter 11. Uh, just the wonder of our communion with Christ that we get to. We get to take in Jesus. He's a gift. There's nothing we can do. We're unworthy totally. And here Jesus comes and he, he bore us. He died on a cross for our sins. And we act that out. We're going to later. I, I hope you've been anticipating this week. Communion is precious. And I just think oftentimes what happens, you and I, is we kind of get that. We kind of get this idea that we confessed Christ and so we're saved. But what happens a lot for us after that is kind of a, well, what's, what's next? What about now? Like, I didn't confess Christ and then immediately gets transported to heaven. I'm still here. So what, what about my life here? How will God use me? How should I serve him? What do I need to be a good Christian? What does my spiritual life look like? I, I want to be useful, don't you? How can I be useful in a way that is maximizing my belief in Christ? So... so this morning, we're going to talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about life after confessing Christ. And if we're going to talk about that, we have to talk about a particular thing, a particular person, the Holy Spirit. We neglect him all the time. But if we're talking about life on earth after we confess Christ, this is who we need to talk about. And so that's why we're calling this highlighting the Spirit. It's what Paul does after he talks about the reception of communion and we're here realizing our unworthiness. We're participating now in Christ. We are a body. And so now he wants to make sure you and I know about the Holy Spirit. It's really important. It's often ignored. So I, I want to make sure we, we do that. And we're going to go through this text. You've got to buckle in with me. We're going to do this whole chapter and read it through because I want to make sure you see exactly what Paul is getting at. And so many times when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we are, we are we're distracted by squirrels. It's the fall. I took my dog out yesterday. Oh, my goodness. She was okay for a while by my side, you know, with the little chain on her. But every so often, <laughs> there she goes again. What did she see? A squirrel. And you start off the path, off where we're going, off the thing to go look at something that isn't even the point of where I wanted her to go, right? So we're tempted to do that often in this area of the spirit. Because there's really amazing things the Spirit does, and sometimes they're kind of strange things to our thinking. And so we go, ooh, 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 and we miss it. So I want you to see the main thrust of what Paul is doing today. Make sure you hear it and make sure you see it. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the squirrels too. But here we go. So the first thing is by the Spirit as we start talking about the idea of Jesus being Lord. Buckle in, chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I don't want you to be uninformed. So Paul starts to write, and the new topic he says now, he says brothers, he means brothers and sisters, he means all of us Christians, and what he says is concerning spiritual gifts. Now I want to make sure that you understand as we start this, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. But the word he uses there is translated spiritual gifts, but it's not the same word that he's going to use later for gifts. It's a different word, and it just means spiritual things. Concerning spirituals, concerning, sometimes even your Bible might say spiritual people. Concerning spirituality in your life as a Christian, concerning spiritual stuff, okay, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
Knowledge frees you from ignorance. You say, man, I want to be used. I want to, have, I want to know the plan. I want to have direction. I want to have power for the Christian life. And Paul says, okay, well, here, I want, I want you to have that. I want you to know it. Here's the first thing in this idea. You know, verse 2, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. That's interesting. So here's the first thing. Christianity is not like other religions. It's not like pagan living. You know the world? The world is led astray, and you were led astray to mute idols. You know what he's saying there? He's saying they have no power. They have nothing to say to you. So when you're led astray to a mute idol and you're looking for direction, where's the direction going to come from? Yourself. I'm going to come to something that can't talk to me, and I'm going to try and figure out how to serve it, and it's going to be me determining what to do. That's what he's saying. He's saying Christianity's not like that. They have no power. They have no plan. They're dead. They're mute. That means life's about you, about what you can plan, about what you can think, about what you can accomplish. That idol, you know, has nothing to say to you. Not so you. Your God is not mute and powerless. He's alive and active. And you say, great, that's great. I love it. Okay, so yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't. He says, Therefore, he says in verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? That's the second thing. Christianity's not like other religions. You've got a God of power. And so the question is, do I really have this God? How can I know? He says, well, let me ask you, you know, if you say Jesus is accursed, then you don't have the Spirit. But if you say Jesus is Lord, if you confess that, you can have confidence that He's got you. You have the Spirit. No one says that except by the Spirit, He says. That's how you can know. The Spirit is alive and, and in you. You say, well, I don't feel Him. Oh, okay. doesn't say anything about feeling Him. Say, but I don't look any different. Okay. Again, it's not talking about, about whether you perceive. It's talking about what the truth is. And the Bible's case says this to you. If you confess Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. It's simply a reality that the Bible teaches you and I. So, so, so here, I, I, see how huge this is for your entire life. Because if you come to a dead idol, a mute idol, Who's going to determine your life? You are. You're going to try and serve the idol, all you can do to the idol, because there's nothing the idol can say. But if you come to Jesus and he is alive, isn't this our faith? He rose from the dead. And, and, and the Bible says, this Bible reality says that, that Jesus himself gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a seal, Ephesians 1. Says, hey, if I'm going to go to the Father, I'm so excited to go because when I go, I get to send the Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, and get greater things than I. He's talking about you, me. So do this with me. Wait, wait, wait. Say, I don't know everybody here, but would you say it with me? Say, Jesus is Lord. Okay, if you just said that, you said it by what? The Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. So Dax, that seems too simple. I mean, yeah, the whole thing's crazy, isn't it? That Jesus Christ says just by trusting him that I get to go to heaven. 
just by simple faith, I get, I get given eternal life. And so he says, hey, you don't say that. You can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Big deal. That's the setup, right? From Paul, Christian living is about the Holy Spirit. And you have him if you confess Christ. And so we've said Jesus is Lord. We said, and again, you got to mean it. I get, I get it. You can lie. I get that. But if you say that and you're with me, then, then wow, wait a minute. By faith, I confess Christ. I see this wonder that I take him in and communion. And then, and then I trust that actually what the Bible says is I have the Holy Spirit. The question just becomes then, what does it look like? So what? Well, the Holy Spirit's at work. Let's consider Paul's argument and what he says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, says Paul, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay, so see as he starts to talk now, he uses the different word. That's not the same word as the one up in verse 1 for spiritual gifts. That word, translated gifts right here, literally is grace gifts, right? It has the flavor of grace. There's a lot of them, says Paul. There's a lot of different graces that the Spirit gives. There are many, but one Spirit. Same Spirit. That's important. It's not just graces, is it? It's not just gifts. He actually says, if you have any service, oh, that's from the Lord. If you have any activity, that's, that's from God. You get it? Anything useful, what's going on? God's at work in you. Not you. So you kind of see what the point is, right? The point that he's driving at is that you have a spirit that guides you even if you can't see him, that you have this idea. It's not about you trying to determine what you have, what gift, what to do, what to use, what to accomplish, because that's anxiety and stress. This is about the wonder that you have the spirit. Jesus did this for you. Look what the Spirit does. You, you don't work for this stuff. You can't work for it because they're gifts. That the whole grace is actually built into the Word. Just whatever the Spirit wants, you don't grab hold of Him. He does what He wants, and He does different things in all of us. If you have any energizing, it's not your convicted running. It's God's energy. Gifts and services and activities empowered by God, is for God and by God. So we need to soak in that for a minute. Anything spiritual for those who confess Jesus is a gift, and, and it's a win for the whole team. Look, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
hey, this is where most of the time. Squirrel. What's a squirrel? Look at that list. Let's go and define them all and figure them all out. Which one do I have? It's not wrong. Just consider each one. But do you see what he's actually saying? He's saying there are different showings of the Spirit. That's what manifestation means, he says there in verse 7. Different manifestations mean the Spirit shows himself in a whole bunch of ways. And then he lists some. He doesn't even say it's a comprehensive list. He just says, hey, look at all these different ways. An utterance of wisdom. And most people think that's a, a special, insightful, spiritual application of understanding God's Word. Or an utterance of knowledge, which is which is helping you actually understand something. Working miracles, that's, that's supernatural deeds that the Holy Spirit can, can do through somebody. Prophesying is truth-telling, often about the future. Distinguishing spirits, a discernment about spiritual things and movements. Tongue, speaking in a language that's not your own, that you don't understand. An interpretation where somebody actually interprets it, right? All of these things, says Paul, are about the Holy Spirit showing. But did you see all the way through? It wasn't like, ooh, which one's mine? Let's try and figure out how I can get some of these crazy cool things or how do we unlock these gifts. That's not what Paul is about at all. The focus of his writing, the emphasis isn't on which gift do I have or which gifts are prominent in the church or, or, or let's do an inventory. The, the point is that the Spirit is in charge. The Spirit does different things in different people. However He wills. He blesses people with gifts. They're grace gifts, meaning that they're not earned or because someone's super cool. We just all have the same Spirit. And He, the Word of God says, is at work. If any gift is shown anywhere, it's because the Spirit has decided to show. Okay, so so far, let me let me kind of work through. So you're with me in the argument so far. There's two kind of take-home points we've had so far. That that if if you confess Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. And then here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit has a plan. Right? He's the one giving gifts and service and activities that are useful. He decides when and where, not you. And so that the sort of the one of the take-home pieces in those two presentations so far that Paul has made is we can breathe. Right? The burden's off. We, we don't have to plan ourselves. We're not coming to a mute idol trying to say, well, God's far off some out there. I better figure out what I should do over here. I don't have to do that. It's not anything like that. The Holy Spirit empowers not because of our holy progress, not because of less sin, not because of lots of asking, but the Bible says, as He wills. We're in Christ. We have a head. That means there's one body. And in that body, if something's going to be shown, the Holy Spirit has to do it. And he doesn't always decide to do things in one line or another, does he? What does this mean? Paul's going to spend the rest of his chapter here focusing in on what it means, this, this application of us having the Spirit. The Spirit has plenty. It means we're in one body. Let's look. For just as the body is one and has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are made to drink one spirit. Okay, stop there for a minute. Think it through with me. Because now he's focusing in on how we should think of ourselves and other people. We all have the same body. We have this spirit. The spirits are. So we're all one. One spirit, one baptism. That means that we all die in Christ. and, And then we all are raised to live in Christ. There's no more ego. You know, that's the Greek word for I. No such thing as special servant Dax. Just the Holy Spirit at work in me. The Holy Spirit at work in you. It doesn't matter, says Paul, your background, your ethnicity, your height, your weight, your gender, your handedness, your ability. We're all one in the way that matters. The only way that matters is that because of our connection in Christ, because of our confession of Jesus, we get given the one spirit, and then we have this one spirit. You and I do. That's what the Bible teaches For the body, he says in verse 14, doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should stay because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You get what he's saying? So so, so here, as he talks about us being one, the, the first statement that he makes really is that we are all one. And then he says this right here. Oneness is true whether or not you see it. You say, man, I, I, don't, I don't look like those Christians over there. So? And I'm not talking about clothing. I'm not talking about, oh, well, they dress and they do this, and, and here's their customs and they do it that way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what they actually do in Christ. I, I, I don't have the same abilities as you. I don't have the same heart for this ministry or or that activity. And you can say those things, says Paul, but that doesn't take away from the reality that you're part of the body. The hand can't see. The eye can't touch. But they're both part of the body. This is very radical. You being in the body of Christ is because of what the Holy Spirit has done. Full stop. Let me give you some examples. Say, say, I stumble in one-on-one evangelism. It's just not my thing. Don't my, I, well, I'll let, let me train you so you're better because everybody needs to be good at that because I'm good at that. I don't have a huge heart for cooking meals uh, on, 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 for people. Well, 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 that's an unchristian thing you need to do, so let me make you like me. You need to have a better heart. You say, I'd rather be at home blessing my kids than out socializing at church. Well, that's wrong. You'd be at the church four days a week. If you're at three, we'll work with you, so you get to be four. The grace groups, man, they're not my thing. I, I have community. I don't. You see how you can take each of these things and you start putting on the guilt trip. Why? Because, because I think conformity to a certain set of activities is what makes me Christian. And, and Paul's saying, no, wait a minute. None of those are what makes you part of the body. The thing that you are up to, the way that you're being used, is up to the Spirit who makes you. That's remarkable. That's incredible. If you have the Holy Spirit, 
And then the Holy Spirit's like a wind that takes people around, and he's got a plan. You don't even know what God's going to do with your life at any moment. And yet the things he's doing in your life, by the word of God, is a remarkable work that he's in charge of. You go, be you. That's what he's saying, right? We are one by this definition. If you confess Christ, you do it by the Spirit. It's not by yourself. It's not your power. So he says here, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see, you see, that's my problem many times. Again, it's our problem. We think everybody should be a hand. But really, the one in charge isn't me, and it's, it's not you. It's God who arranges. That's what the text said there, right? Arranges each of us as he chooses, including our strengths, all of the gifts, all the ways that we are. He's actually in charge. We have a living God. This isn't a statement of caste, like, well, just be happy where you are. Don't have any ambitions. No, no, because he gives you desires too, right? It's not that. This is encouragement that God's in charge. He uses us in ways that we, we don't see very well. We need each other. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. See, we need every piece, especially the parts that we in our nearsightedness think we don't need. We have no idea what God's doing in each and every person, in their activities, in their service, in their giftedness. Our desire, mostly, you know, really, honestly, is to make everybody like us. That's called conformity, and we just, we've got to fight it. Because the conformity that we have is to our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. We forsake ourselves and die. We trust the Spirit who lives in us, so that trust goes all the way through. And, and then we live our lives active and, and moving and doing things where we, we choose but at the same time, we realize God is in charge putting us all together. In fact, the weaker things in our eyes are super necessary. I thought about this. even goes kind of with body imagery, right? So I think, okay, think about the blood for a minute. Think about if their blood, man, the blood is so cool. It delivers oxygen and nutrients to different parts of the body. The life is in the blood, the Bible says. I get excited. I want to be the blood. And in actuality, what you are is the blood vessel. You're the little piece of blood vessel right here in the arm. It'd be so easy for you to get discouraged as you watch all that blood go by. I want to be the blood. But guess what? If you're not that blood vessel, that little piece, the blood doesn't get to where it's supposed to go in the fingers. You're needed. It's not just that. Think if you, I don't know. <laughs> the eye is remarkable, don't you think? The eye is so cool. Oh, man, if you guys ever really want to study something that's just like a miracle, study the eye. 
It's how light comes in and it gets converted into chemical energy. And that chemical energy gets somehow made so that you're, you're, so it becomes electrical energy that gets to your brain and is formed into a picture that you can see. So what if you're that nerve that's connecting the eye and the brain? You get to look all day at the eye. How marvelous that eye is. What a work of wonder. And then you're connected on the other side to the brain. Who wouldn't want to be the brain? Intelligence, wonder. Man, I don't want to be this silly nerve. And yet if you aren't that nerve, the information doesn't get from the eye to the brain. There's nothing going on. You're needed. You get it? That's what he's saying. That's where he's going. In fact, I... Well, I can't really tell a story about the small intestine. But it does go along with what he's saying, I'm telling you. If you didn't have that small intestine, we couldn't get you off the potty. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, all that stuff, we think it's not, I mean, it's, it's handling waste, it's handling stuff like that, so we think it needs to be covered up, and that's exactly what he's saying. We give more modesty, right? We use modesty because to cover it, because that part is absolutely critical too. And yet we say, okay, well, let's cover that area, and we'll give it some more honor that way. That's that's what he's doing. This is upside down from the world, you know, because the whole point of honor in in, in the world is to lift up and exalt the the stronger, the 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 head and. And, and, yet, and we do have a head, and we exalt him, we lift him up. But, but within the body parts that we are, we're all the same. That's remarkable. We actually give more honor to the weak in order to emphasize that we're the same. See, that's what he says. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Even honor is just so we can see we're all one. Not, not, not the individual ranking, but for encouragement. All this diversity, all this different, and, and, and yet it's there just so we can rejoice together in what God is doing. We're the same. We're on the same team. I talk about Christmas child boxes and how incredible it is that uh, millions of them go, how cool. You know what? That's us doing that. You hear about Billy Graham and the great crusades that he did and how the word goes out and people get saved. That's us getting that amazing gift of people saved. You hear about the missionary in Africa and they're laying down their life and they're doing great things for God and they're out there. That's us. Be excited. You hear about the person doing dishes in the kitchen. Oh, well, they should go to Africa. That, that I go there, because that's nothing. And yet, that's exactly what he's saying. You have no idea how the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Things that you think are nothing are incredible works of God. Because if the Holy Spirit's doing it, it's awesome. You've you got to go there, right? That's where he goes. And we rejoice together. We all rest in what God is doing because we're part of Jesus. Now you are the body of Christ, he says, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. 
He lists off. He said, oh, well, there it is. Which one can I be? And I, I, I want to have those. But here's what he says. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What's the answer? No, 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 and no. Why do you do that? We're not all the same. It's good to be used. We love gifts, but not everybody gets every gift. That's the example, right? He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Oh, it's good to want to be used. It's good to want to be useful. Oh, I do how I do. And yet, I trust that I am. And he's going to end, and I will show you a still more excellent way, because he's going to point towards how we all, through love, are, are being used by the Holy Spirit in amazing ways. We get to talk about that in a couple weeks. This is the thing. In this section where he's determined that we have Christ and the Holy Spirit has a plan, he has made sure you see this morning that we are all one, that that oneness is true whether we see it or not, that God arranges us as he chooses, that the weaker in our eyes are super necessary, and that even greater accomplishment is just so we can rejoice together. I'll tell you what. He's helping us stand in Christ alone. That's what we're doing this morning. The Holy Spirit who has come teaches us and brings to remembrance that our only hope is Jesus. And so when I think of chapter 12, which we've just now covered, mostly I think of, oh, what, what gift do I have? Let's focus on finding out my gift. I'd like you to flip it this morning. And I hope you've seen. The idea is you have the Spirit. And by grace, which means unearned favor, he will give you gifts as he chooses. You won't try and twist his arm because you can't. And yet he is at work. So this whole totally different approach by Paul is three things to take away. One, you have this spirit. If you confess Christ this morning, if your trust is in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is yours. Two, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wants to. And may I add in activities and service. And then three, all of us are part of this body with our God as the head. He will move us. He does that. There are, there are three, with each of those, a trap that you might fall into this morning that I want you to run away from. One is this, you could ask, am I really his? Look what Paul's answer. If you confess Christ Jesus as Lord, you have the Spirit. The answer is, yes, you are His. You might ask, will I get the gift I'm supposed to get? Will I be useful? Paul's answer is yes, because the Holy Spirit gives grace. Not even based on you. He's using you, sweet member of the body. And, and then this trap can come in. God will love me less than other people who have more activity. And the answer to that is no way. Rejoice at whatever you see because we are all one. We can rest in that. He's actually in control. The worry of Paul, I believe, is that you won't see that God is in control. That you won't see that the Holy Spirit's in charge. And instead, you will, like with a dead idol, you will put yourself in charge. 
don't do it. Trust in the Lord. I want to end with this. This is Martin Luther. The very last statement of his Heidelberg Disputation. And he had 28 or so of them. He said this. He says this is his premise. The love of God doesn't discover what is pleasing to it, but creates what is pleasing to it. You get that? It's not like our love. We're attracted to things that please us. We see something we like and we head towards it. But his statement is that God, God's love, creates what is pleasing to you. Precious church, we are his creation. He loves us. He will cause us to be who we should be.